Hello and welcome to Discussions in Tunbridge Wells, Psychology and Mental Health podcast produced by the Salomon Centre for Applied Psychology in Kent. My name is John McGowan and I'm a psychologist in the centre. I'm aware we haven't had the podcast for a while. It's a matter of production resources, I'm afraid. We're rather short-staffed. However, today it's a great pleasure, and I really am very grateful, to offer a piece produced by some of our clinical psychology trainees. Actually, all the trainees featured qualified in September 2019. That's a couple of months ago. This particular discussion, which formed part of a wider series of talks, was actually recorded several months back and focuses on diversity in clinical psychology training. This is something that within clinical psychology we talk about and think about quite a lot, and I know that many other NHS professions do. In this case, the trainees particularly talked about diversity and the experience of that during the training period. Issues of race, culture, gender, nationality and disability all form, form part of their discussion. Without further getting in the way from me then, I'll hand over to Lauren Bryan, Naomi Fairweather, Gina Harwood and Julian Hemmerich. So we're going to start our conversation with some introductions. Um, Okay, so we're going to start with some introductions. Um, We are all third year trainee clinical psychologists at the Salomon Centre for Applied Psychology. And my name is Gina. And I'm Julian. I'm Lauren. And I'm Naomi. Lovely. And we're going to start our conversation today um, with some more in-depth introductions and a discussion about what led each of us to want to speak about the issue of diversity in clinical training. So, Lauren, would you like to kick us off today? Sure. Um, I guess there's lots of different things that I can think about um, in relation to diversity. I think it's quite, personally, it's quite a difficult thing to define because I think diversity is something that's just part and parcel of everyday life in terms of variety and I think that our experiences of clinical training should kind of reflect the variety of life that we kind of are living. Um, I guess in terms of personal things um, my experience of being one of currently three black trainees on the course and that's kind of influenced my experiences and thoughts about training Um, and also thinking about the populations that we are aiming to serve in terms of um, therapeutically and um, in terms of the wider stance of psychology. I think it's important that we're representative of those things. So just a kind of few topics that are relevant. Okay, and Julian? Um, Yeah, a bit like Lauren was just saying, I guess diversity is a bit of a a word that's sort of thrown around in in clinical training as an issue that's um, to be discussed. And I guess that's why we're meeting here today. And and it makes me think about um, minority majority issues as well. And I guess um, as a man, I fall into a minority category numerically on training. Um, There are more women than men um, currently on training as well as in the profession in general Um, but also I guess the other identity I hold is that of a non-UK student so someone from Germany um, who's come over to this country um, and entered training in this country and I guess in that sense I'm also in a minority um, and I guess we might be talking a bit more about um, BME um, group identification as well and I think um, being from an EU country but being white is a bit of a sort of funny place to be in whilst I don't identify as British I also uh, don't identify as from being from a BME background um, 
which I guess made me think more about diversity and, and where I fit and where I sit in this, and this is part of my interest. Sure. And Naomi? Um, I think for me, um, diversity and clinical psychology have all been, always been quite closely linked because I decided that I wanted to be a clinical psychologist around about the same time that I gave up on wanting to be the same as everybody else. So I was a teenager um, at the time and um, and um, I had had this idea that it was important to, to fit in and, and to be normal and um, as a person with a mobility impairment who's also gay and religious, that was never going to be something that was going to be easy. And um, turned out that when I stopped trying to be all sorts of things that I wasn't, I um, got quite interested in other people who um, were different in um, and finally from me, um, I think originally when we were talking about this podcast, I was really wondering about what I would add to this discussion as someone who is a white woman, which is one of the overrepresented groups in the field of psychology, and whether my voice should be championed here. And I think um, thinking about how I quite keenly took on the role of the host, I think that was kind of reflected there. Um, but I also think that there's a role for allyship in that position um, and how people can kind of use their positions of power to um, use their platforms to raise awareness. <clears throat> and when I was digging a bit deeper about my own experiences, I was thinking about how I'm someone from a single parent family and the first person in my direct family to go to university. Um, somebody who's witnessed family members experiencing mental health issues and socioeconomic stresses which I think really sparks my curiosity about what makes people who they are and what the social barriers are that kind of keep individuals and systems stuck in cycles of disadvantage and the associated distress which comes with inequality. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think all of our kind of introductions have really shown like the kind of breadth of, of the discussions or the issues at hand because I think we've all touched on maybe um, maybe underrepresented groups in terms of race or ability or in terms of gender or um, socioeconomic status but I think also it's it's just reflective of difference and commonalities across the spectrum and I think that's why it's an important discussion for all of us to have. It's also important to acknowledge all the voices that aren't here mm. because we by a long stretch aren't representative of mm. all the different ways of being a human sure. that are all mm. valid and valuable. Mm. 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 And I guess the um, interplay between all of those things it becomes a bit of a complex issue when you have if you use the example of kind of underrepresented groups if you've got people from a particular um, sexual sexual orientation or a particular minority and those things kind of intertwine there might be kind of certain nuances in your experiences that are different to other people and I guess it does become a lot of different factors to to contemplate Mm. And, and I think also your point, Gina, that you were breaking, bringing out about um, being a, a white woman and actually overrepresented and, and what's your role in this podcast, I guess, made me think about um, how it's 
probably quite easy for each of us to talk from our own points of views and I could probably talk a lot about gender in this podcast or a lot about nationality but how um, I guess the challenge is whether we can break out of that and whether I can also engage with diversity um, in, in sort of I guess dimensions that I might not own that might not be personal to myself if that makes mm. sense um, so yeah I guess it's a conversation that um, everyone can have um, and I guess that the tricky bit is to step out of your own role and your own kind of viewpoint and take on that of other people as well definitely and I think the starting point is having conversations like this where we can own some of our differences and some of the power differentials that go on in society that I think are really hard to talk about and shut down people mm -hmm. and it's kind of fear which keep these things going so just starting to think about the things that make us similar and make us different and there are so many different parts of us that make us who we are um, but I guess it might be helpful to think a bit about what we mean by diversity in clinical training I think you maybe touched on it a bit um, Lauren and Julian about how it's often uh, women and how it's often sort of white people mm -hmm. but what kind of things what to someone who's not on clinical training what's the picture of diversity in clinical training I think there's a couple of things this is just my personal perspective there's um, the issue of diversity in terms of who is able to um, access clinical training in terms of the rates of different groups in terms of their success of getting onto a course but also in terms of when we're on training the diversity of experiences and teaching that we're exposed to because I think those are two things that are kind of interconnected but also quite distinct in a way um, and I think those are two issues that are quite useful to think about so if we think about um, in terms of the diversity amongst trainees as we've kind of alluded to it's a fairly kind of um, white British female middle class dominated field um, and there's particular groups that have kind of historically not been very well represented in terms of um, access to training and that's something that lots of different courses and lots of different people and different systems have tried to think quite sensitively and openly about and I think that's one of the things that within Salomons we have our own widening access group to think about different initiatives and thinking about system level kind of approaches thinking about um, talking to schools or talking to colleges to kind of get people aware of kind of what clinical training might involve and kind of supporting certain groups to think about um, elements of the process of um, training. Mm -hmm. uh, BPS has its own minorities group that um, is specifically for um, pre-qualified people um, thinking about issues of diversity and the um, sorts of barriers that um, people from minority groups my face mm. it, made, it made me think um, in, in the wider sense about diversity as well and equal opportunities like you were saying um, Lauren around having um, 
equal opportunities for, for people to um, be able to access clinical training. Um, but that's a discourse, I think, that's all around us at the moment in, in outside of psychology, um, whether it's about um, the, the percentage of women in leadership positions or management positions and the gender pay gap, um, but also in terms of race, for example, um, in terms of creating equal opportunities for, for people to um, do things and, I guess, um, manage or address sort of the, the yeah the active or in indirect uh, direct discrimination as well and i guess um so we're operating in the wider context of those things all around us i guess it's not just uh, specific to clinical psychology but um i guess we want to keep both things in mind in terms of what are the things that are important for us but also what are the things that are important in, in the wider society and and i guess also more from a clinical point of view why should we be interested in that is because um, the people we work with um, also come from a very diverse range of backgrounds and be that gender or ethnicity or religion or race um, and um, i think questions need to be posed around whether um, we should the workforce should be representative of the people we work with um, i guess an easy answer might be to say yes but also thinking about why why is that important um, and i guess these are some of the issues that are being addressed on, on the training that we're doing um, because we're also not, not just thinking about us and ourselves and whether we um, are able to get under clinical training but also uh, the benefits of having a diverse workforce for our clients mm -hmm. i think it's possible that there are some groups of people that will never be represented um, in the clinical psychology workforce. So um, some examples that come to mind would be um, people with learning disabilities or people who are street homeless are not likely to become clinical psychologists mm. um, or be clinical psychologists. Mm -hmm. So I guess that brings up the question, is that sort of like an exercise in futility, to put it in a bit of an extreme point of view, where we talk, we sit here and talk about diversity, knowing full well that maybe some groups uh, will find it quite hard to ever access um, the, the kind of training that we're doing. And um, yeah, I guess you kind of naming that is quite, mm. is quite helpful because um, it, it'll make us think about um, how much is there that we can achieve and, and how much of it is around um, there being barriers and how much of it is actually about the fact that this is a, a particular training or career path that will always be inaccessible to some groups no matter how much we might be able to work on those things. And I think that's the value of communication isn't it or the value of having a space to discuss these things where we do think about kind of um, the blind spots or kind of think about the, the, the limitations to that I think just because there are limitations doesn't mean that we should stop discussing issues and that's how we kind of grow and that's how we kind of um, yeah just contemplate a variety of perspectives um, and it's kind of personally and kind of globally it's it's useful for our development I think mm. um, but I wonder whether those kind of spaces there needs to be more kind of frequency of these spaces being made available and for it to be on everyone's mind so for example we've come together as a group of people who have some sort of interest or some curiosity about these things and as I've spoken about before there's certain groups or certain forums like the widening access group where people will talk about these things um but in that there's a danger that um people 
other people who haven't opted to have those conversations won't be aware of those discussions and what does that mean as well if there's pockets of people who haven't got their diversity hat on for one of a better phrase it's is that limiting their learning or limiting their kind of um remit as a professional do you see what I mean like if Mm -hmm. if if we're just having these closed off discussions and other people are outside of it or think it's not for them you know what does what does that mean for us because that means that we're not having a diversity of perspectives and what does that mean for them in terms of what things they're aware of or what things they're choosing to be aware of I don't really have an answer but I think it's important to Mm -hmm. think about Mm-hmm. And I guess you're describing what some of the pitfalls might be when we are talking about diversity and some of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, were there any others that anybody had come to mind? Um, I guess returning to some of the things I might have mentioned about gender, which I think is maybe a particular interesting kind of group um, where um, many of the other groups that might be underrepresented in clinical psychology might also be groups that might be um because it would be less powerful in society in general. Um, but um, my own personal view is that that's not true of gender, that many discourses around at the moment are that um, men are the more powerful gender in lots of lots of different domains, um, and there's lots of um, work going on to change that and challenge that. Um, so I guess myself, um, I'm in a tricky position where I might see men underrepresented on clinical training, but is that really because they don't have equal opportunities or is that actually because there are fewer men that might feel like they want to do that? Um, is that actually a problem more with, with men themselves about not seeing this as a, as a viable career path rather than um, with not being allowed to be on training to put it in a quite a crude way? So I guess I guess the pitfall is between diversity is between, well, minority numerically, but also uh, power, I guess, maybe something we haven't mentioned yet, mm. um, and so that we, we don't fall into a rhythm of thinking just because someone is underrepresented means um, they are maybe less powerful and they need to be helped. I don't know, in particular on gender, that sort of rings true for me. I don't know if that's also true for other groups, but that was a particular one. And how do you think that's impacted your journey into clinical psychology and your time on clinical training? Um, well, I think it's the importance of the, uh, I guess, a bit of a tricky position, as I was saying, that I might, I'm sitting here and I'm taking part in the podcast, and it might be quite easy to think that I'm here to advocate for there to be more men on training, which I guess was maybe an interest to start off with, but I think has probably changed, and, and it made me think much more around um, the kind of... Um, I guess automaticity of thinking well there's not that many men of us there should be more I should be doing something about this um, and it's made me think more about the I guess nuances of, of having that approach and, and sitting with the fact that yes I might be part of a minority group but um, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're oppressed or it might be that in certain areas um, it becomes more tricky in other areas it might not do so it's actually a lot more complicated um, than, than it seems to be at the beginning I guess. Mm-hmm. And are there any examples of um, kind of the value that people think that diversity does bring to clinical psychology and clinical training? I think about this a lot because I think um, as a disabled person, I think maybe um, as a wheelchair user, I um, spend quite a lot of time feeling a bit inconvenient. and it's quite easy to lose sight 
of all the things that disabled people can bring to the um, to the workforce that um, is very positive. So um, maybe um, having a bit of an insight into um, the, the experiences that is the welfare benefit system or spotting things that um, non-disabled people might not notice and um, thinking about somewhere where I was on placement a while back um, and it was um, in a building that was on the seafront and when the wind was blowing um, it was physically not possible for me to open the door um, to get to or to sort of draw attention to myself so the receptionist would know that I'd need some help um, and um, nobody had previously considered putting a doorbell there um, and I think that's because um, possibly enough people using that service if they came to the door and realised they couldn't open it they would have just gone home and mm. um, maybe not had the confidence to or the knowledge to ring upstairs to get somebody to come down. I think that's a really good example of why it's important to have those perspectives in discussions because I think through I guess lots of our chats Naomi I've I've realized my ignorance about certain areas if certain things don't um, necessarily impact your own day-to-day life or you've never or you've never been confronted by them it'd be easy to not realize that they're issues that other people face and that could be said for a lot of a whole host of things and I think that is important it's made me think very differently about things like accessibility or kind of um the design of buildings and it's things that will be horrified you know when you tell me stories I am horrified by it but then I actually think well are you also kind of part of a system that is kind of um not enabling people to access support or not thinking really about a full spectrum of issues I'm only thinking really from my own perspective we all have biases we all have our own um experiences and I think that's sometimes why diversity or talks about diversity or variety can sometimes feel uncomfortable because maybe it might lead you to really check yourself and think oh well I've I've been guilty of that and there can be a lot of strong emotions or you could feel yeah a lot of guilt or shame about your part in some of the things that have maybe oppressed or kind of um discriminated against certain populations and I think that can be a quite tricky uh, tricky kind of um situation to navigate in terms of um witnessing or um hearing people's accounts and not feeling um particularly crappy about yourself as well yeah. <laughs> I, I think the sort of shame and blame really shuts the conversation down and makes change less likely mm. and i guess you're naming something there which is about sort of i guess how we all bring different resources to 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 a team let's say or to a service and uh, just the same way that we might be blinkered to other people's experiences we have a certain we have certain experiences that other people do not have and yeah. and i guess part of the value of diversity for me is to 
share those experiences with each other. I think there's a little point having a very diverse workforce, but, but there not being any communication going on. It's about sitting and actually having conversations like the two of you were just saying, the sort of exchange of mm-hmm. ideas and viewpoints and perspectives, and I guess values as well, that actually helps us all to broaden our own horizons. And actually, in, in a more rounded way, we're working with all people from all sorts of backgrounds and we need to be able to adapt um, in terms of who we're seeing and be sort of culturally sensitive to to those needs and we know that some people are better at that than other people but I think it's having more kind of yeah cultural competencies around um, being able to sort of relate and connect to different cultures that I think is um, is really important I think one way to do that is by um, having a diverse workforce and having colleagues mm. to talk to and chat about these different issues that we might not have been aware of otherwise. And I think also it's about um, being clear when you don't know and asking yeah, questions. Exactly. I get, I think because I'm visibly disabled, I get asked all the time to speak on behalf of all disabled people mm-hmm. when actually I know very little about um, visual impairment or hearing impairment. Mm. Um, or I don't know what it might be like to be autistic. Um, and that's irritating, isn't it? When you then become like the spokesperson for a whole group of people, and that's not okay. <laughs> you can't, mm-hmm. you can't possibly, mm-hmm. you know. And that must happen in a whole, you know, variety of of areas. If we think about race, you know, there are times when I think, oh, actually, I can speak on this issue, but that's only my one interpretation of what it's like to be this black person not every it's your truth it's not yeah, universal it's not... Mm-hmm. yeah and there might be commonalities in things and there might be specific things that might be kind of experienced on a group level but that's never gonna say that's the you know black and white yeah um stance on things but I think that can be that balance isn't it on, on wanting to highlight the issue of diversity but then not then becoming the spokesperson or the singular representative of of um, a group Mm. can be difficult I think and this makes me think a bit about diversity role models and how valuable it can be to Mm. see people in certain positions but also what the people are holding when they are kind of put in that position and especially in the context of clinical training which I think is stressful across the board what else you're holding Mm. you know when you're having to represent a certain group or um, maybe feeling like you're having to um, challenge people's you know stereotypes mm. and perceptions of you so I don't know if there were any stories that anybody wanted to share any kind of real life examples I know you've already touched on one Naomi but are there any others that people wanted to share um, I don't have any I can just talk about my thoughts about sometimes how things are marketed um, in terms of like visibly in terms of you know if a course wants to have a poster or a banner or a leaflet and whether there might be kind of a illusion created that a course is diverse you know there might be and I, I guess our, our experiences of this course might kind of be in line with this in terms of asking for particular people from particular backgrounds to share their experiences and I think on one hand that can be useful because it might you know it it might show people that actually whatever your identity is that shouldn't be a barrier to accessing particular career paths but then also that is a bit kind of misleading because if the reality is that courses aren't very 
diverse or very well represented by certain groups that that can cause kind of a bit of disconnect because you might be coming to a certain course expecting certain things and then feel a bit jaded if that's not offered so I think that's just always something that kind of makes me giggle I don't have a resolution I can see the value and the pitfalls of it but I think yeah I think that's just something that I've noticed in Mm. terms of from a marketing perspective I guess I guess we're thinking about where to start because we're sort of saying I guess kind of a discourse that's that's around us that we people from minority backgrounds will not um, apply for training because they believe that that is not a, a kind of an environment that um, people like them mm. would be operating in and, and we can say well we can look at the courses and how they're made up um, and um, but we we might have to think about well where do we start changing it then because we need to do do we start sort of creating this illusion I guess is what you're saying that that causes are diverse by having promote promotional mm. material that might show as though there is lots of diversity sure. um, which might um, help people think about applying mm. um, or do we try and be um, accurate and then maybe have posters that might not oh, represent yeah, exactly. the diversity which might mm. then not yeah make people. It's, it's so a difficult, I guess yeah, yeah. it's about uh, something has to change because it's a bit of a circle isn't sure. it there, there are no role models because there are no people applying and there are no people applying because there are no role models mm-hmm. and, and where do we start to break and, that yeah, cycle yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. yeah I think like cycles like that come up a lot in relation to diversity issues I think I feel like I spend quite a lot of time balancing being sort of bitter disabled woman with um like empowered (laughs) empowered um pointing out things that need need to be different um and that um can be quite exhausting just Mm. thinking um, like another placement example of some of the um things that I felt had just gone on and on and on. For example, um contractors um parking in blue badge spaces and having had a conversation that went on for four months about how that wasn't really okay and needed to change. Mm. Um and then to kind of get into the building and um be all sort of pleasant trainee um is quite a challenge Mm. it can feel relentless can't it I think um kind of that balance of trying to remain kind of passionate about things and not get pulled down by the work that it or the effort that it might um take I think about um some of my experiences on placement in terms of thinking about different um in terms of affluence, like in my during one of my CAMS placements, um, it was in a borough that is quite polarised in terms of economic wealth. But there are it's fairly affluent, but there are pockets of kind of um, disadvantage and adversity. And I guess for a lot of the clinicians in the team, their views were more geared to the more affluent kind of families and. I was thinking about um, my experience of running a group and um, talking about the practical difficulties that we'd experienced in terms of running the group after school, which I thought 
was useful in terms of meaning that you know parents were still able to bring their children and it's not kind of messing up their school day but a lot of the clinicians in the team were saying well you know we should just have it during working hours and if parents are really committed to making their children better then you know they would definitely take you know take the time of work yeah and I think you know when I was hearing those things it was really shocking but actually if that's just your perspective or that's your sphere of seeing the world and you've not had any kind of um challenges to that why would you see the world any differently but actually you're disadvantaged dis yeah it's the disadvantage to a whole section of a community and actually that's not the remit of that service wasn't just to serve the people who are affluent it's to serve the people of all walks of life and I think yeah it's just it just shows you how it is important as you were saying to have those discussions and to have diverse workforces that can kind of back those things back but then on the other hand to be the person who's always bringing those things up can feel quite relentless and quite Mm. draining to you personally if you choose to take on that role and just to finish things up how do we all anticipate life after the course when we are qualified do we think that these things are going to remain the same do you think there'll be any differences (laughs) i think i'll (laughs) be thinking quite carefully about where I'd like to work and working in an environment that is accessible to me and complete myth that all NHS buildings are accessible they might be a little bit more so um, on the public side but on the staff side they're often really not Um, and also working in a team that values diversity of of all kinds. Um. I was thinking about, um, I guess, the maybe it's an illusion of extra power that we might have when we're qualified. Mm. Um, something you said, Naomi, about whether how much you feel you're able to speak up. Mm. And, and in my head, I was thinking, is there also something about being on training that means that actually speaking up, not just in terms of diversity, but in all sorts of things, is more difficult because we are also in a position of being evaluated. Um, on our performance and so on and that could possibly be penalised of course that could also happen when we're qualified so maybe Mm. that's something that remains to be seen but I guess my hope is that um, our voices might have more power in in those areas um, if it comes from the position of a qualified clinical psychologist psychologist, that's a permanent member of that team rather than a training transient is also Mm quite a difficult thing yeah. to manage yeah. mm-hmm. when you're actually in a stuck in a team and you've got a bit of scope to yeah you've got more than six months to, sure. to mm-hmm. try and make some change mm-hmm. although I guess we're kind of shining a light on the challenges of trying to change a system that we're very much so a part of and mm-hmm. ingrained in um, yeah and I think something that I was I was just thinking back to before we got on the course and the level of competitiveness and the things that we had to face to get into this position and how that might be different once we qualify and the kind of jobs that we go to and um yeah it's all it's all quite an unknown Mm. um but I do think that we will be in a position where we can use the platforms that we have if we feel able to Mm. um yeah did anybody else have anything they wanted to say as a kind of closing statement? No, I guess it's just been a valuable discussion. Mm. I think it's just another reinforcement of the value of discussion, which I've said about a hundred times during this 
podcast but yeah it is there's no there's no quick solutions there's no you know definite answers but that doesn't mean that we should stop talking about these things and teasing them out and looking at them and giving things a bit of space and time so yeah yeah, it's been useful I would, I would agree with with what you've said there, Lauren, and and also it made me think of how little actually we've been able to touch on in in this sort of mm. half an hour, forty minutes, however long it was, um, and how much more there is yeah. there is to talk so about. Much more to say. Yeah, so yeah. I guess this is a sort of a bit of an overview of different things that that are on our minds and that we're particularly passionate about. But yeah, there there was so much to say about diversity, isn't there? And to think about, um, and yeah, it's about having those having those conversations within teams, um, and um, but also I guess outside of teams um, mm. with people in general and people who commission services yeah. and and so on, um, and yeah, this is I guess was just a bit of a start of ideas, <laughs> yeah, but it's, mm. it's a very big um, area. Mm-hmm. And I guess I would hope that this is kind of beginning a conversation that will continue outside of this podcast, mm. um, and that there is you know plenty of room at the table for other perspectives that we haven't considered today um but i would hope that maybe somebody listening to this who isn't necessarily you know in the realm of psychology um might see that their perspective is also something that can add to the conversation um and to not feel that they can't um pursue a particular career because they are not represented by the people that they see doing that job Mm -hmm.